So I'm going to be the brave one to try and coordinate a talk and the uh, audiovisual. And as you know, this often doesn't work. So let's see. Um, I'm aware of the time, and I'm aware that Liz has given me a very small topic, theology and interfaith encounters. And I have about eight minutes, and my talk runs for at least an hour. So um, while this is being set up, let just me give you a, a reason I believe I was asked to come. Essentially, my topic of academic research and understanding is in development. Um, that's what I did my undergraduate and my master's in. Uh, and my default setting is interfaith. Um, because I'm a person of faith, and also because I lived and worked in Asia for about eight years, I had the great privilege to live in India, Nepal, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. And so, really for me, I come almost bridging from this session to the next one, the practical session, to talk about faith and my interfaith relations and dialogue as part of being a human being and part of being a priest. Now, it's all right. I'll go ahead. If we, get some, if we get some pictures, great. The important pictures are at the end. We'll see how it goes. Um, from a Christian perspective, which is obviously the one I, I'm going to start with, we all know about the golden rule. We know about the rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you. It's uh, also our second commandment. And it's one of basically ethical reciprocity, and it's one that's known and adhered to by all the major religions of the world. So what I wanted to say, if we don't have, doesn't matter, it's fine. Sure. Yeah, let's just leave it. I'll, I'll take you through the walk. In fact, I have friends who've been with the walk. It's fine. Um, what I wanted to say was from Paul's letters. Got a lovely picture of Patmos here, and we go to Greek islands, and we could sit along a castle. Um, and he takes it another step further because he says, yes, that's important to love one's neighbor, but the most important thing is love with action and truth, not just words and speech. And the irony of it is that today we've been talking and we're in words and speech, but we've come back again and again to local and community action, which is where I will end up. But if you're going to think about being engaged as a priest and a Christian in interfaith dialogue and encounters. You have to, as it were, make it very clear where your theological stance is going to come from. And in academia, there is a professor called Nitta who has clearly clarified that each religious faith will have a perspective, as we know. And he's termed it very clearly as an inclusive, exclusive or pluralist perspective and ability to talk to people of other faiths. And I really, truly think it's important that before you go on the journey of an interfaith encounter, that you yourself, as a person of faith, understand where you're coming from, from one of those three perspectives. It doesn't mean that if you take an inclusive stance as a Christian, which means you would interpret from John, I am the way, the truth, the light, 
no one comes to the Father except through me, that only a Christian can be saved. Nor does it necessarily mean if you take the exclusive approach, which means that um, there is a divine revelation in other religions, but they're not equal to the relationship that Christians have with God, or you take the pluralist in which says there is equal validity in all religions. It is important to know where you come from before you go on the interfaith encounter. So I think that's very key. And why it's key is that there are characteristics of what I would call the pluralist model, which is actually one that I adhere to, which I affirm the value and validity of other religions, um, which matter when we come to talking to the other. First of all, those characteristics would be that you would not use confrontational language, non-confrontational. We need an ethic of agreement, but we also need an ethic for coping with disagreement where religions are wronged by one another. But that language that we use is important. If you take the pluralist approach, you need to realize, even as a Christian, that there are possibilities, that there are many true saving religions, and that Christianity is one among many ways in which God has touched and transformed our world. That doesn't, the third point, deny its uniqueness. Christianity is unique and unique for Christians. It affirms our differences. So while we have those characteristics of a pluralistic approach, we also have the way in which we approach, the nature with which we approach the other. Now, there has been touched on this morning words like humility or um, sort of understanding or stepping in the footsteps. And, you know, you only have to go back to St. Peter and look at what he says. For instance, how he would ask us to approach issues related to other people's understanding of salvation and mission, answer the other with gentleness and with reverence. That's in one translation. In another, it's with humility and compassion. So these are the characteristics, the nature and way in which we can approach people. And also, we have to uncover what do we mean by mission. You can't be a Christian and decide that mission is conversion and not conversation. So in the walk that I'm about to talk to you about, I've had Christian colleagues saying, I'm not coming on an interfaith friendship walk with you because your aim is to converse and have a conversation with the other, but not to convert. So that's not going to get you very long way down the dialogue. But it's a, it's a valid position to be, but you need to know it. Now, finally, Nitta and Cracknell and others would say, being engaged in intellectual and interfaith dialogue is a necessity. Global responsibility and building up of a dialogue like this seeks to draw out a necessity because it is what we need for the future of our planet. This is what we need for peace, understanding, global 
assurance, security, in development, and environmental health for the planet. So this isn't a little thing we're talking about. This is key, absolutely key. So in this broad sweep, up here with about seven minutes to go, I'm going to fall into the trap of a type of generalism. It's incredibly difficult not to. And when I was asked to write this paper, I thought, if I'm going to be discussing people of other faiths and other faiths, I need to reach out to my friends who I have and ask them the same question that's being asked of me. So the privileged position I have is to have extremely good friends who are rabbis and bishops and imams and academics of all of the traditions. And I just want to give you one line from each of them. It's very unfair, and it is cherry-picking, but it's important that even in this process of me speaking up here this afternoon, they are present and their voices are with us. So the very first level in which my interfaith engagement takes place is on a personal level in which I'm able to email people of other faiths who I trust and know and who have worked with me, and they all responded. So on Judaism, I have uh, the lovely Rabbi Jeffrey Newman, who just came back with words about, for peace in the Jewish context, it's a concept of wholeness which is so important. And he said, shalom is, of course, the Hebrew word most often translated as peace. Its basic meaning is wholeness, a state of harmony among God, humanity, and all creation. My dear friend, Imam Monoa Hussein, who is the founder of the Oxford Foundation here in Oxford, um, and who has been also a member of the Friendship Walk, came back and said that he sees the purpose of Islamic revelation as being the reconnecting human beings with their creator. And the description of the creator is the all-peaceful, the bestower of peace, and the source of peace is the one of the beautiful names of God. And I think that's such an important input here to realize how God is seen. And then in Hinduism, we of course have the Shanti path, which is well-known and commonly recited pair of peace, which Chinta brought to me. And finally, my friend in Delhi, um, the academic Avinda, who came back with me about a phrase from Guru Nanak, who's the founder of Sikhism. No one is my enemy. No one is a foreigner. With all I am at peace, God within us renders us incapable of hate and prejudice. That's important. It's important because it means that the capability of the world out there, there are 2.2 billion practicing Christians, and if you take people of faith, which is the one thing that definitely links us all, that's over possibly two-thirds of all the people living on the planet today. And if we can create a dialogue with those people about issues related around peace, then we have a great opportunity. Let me just give you the local practical side in which that's taken place. On the eve of the Iraq war, I started a friendship walk from a church to a mosque to make an apology for the images of torture that were coming out of the jail in Basra. 
That was covered by the news because it was on the eve of the Iraq war, because it was about peace, because it was there and then. The next year, I think more significantly a thing happened. The Jewish community said, we want to walk from the synagogue to the church to the mosque because we want to be involved in this dialogue and it's important at a local level and for what's happening internationally. And now, there are over 12 religions that take place. Over 850, 900 people walk through the streets of Oxford and the Jewish community makes sweets that are taken in the afternoon to the mosque where the mosque at the end of the walk actually puts on a meal for all to share. And prayers are given by an imam, a rabbi, and also a bishop at each of the main places of faith. And this year, we're now having a place for the Sikhs and Hindus and other faiths to also participate in a real way. Now, that's at a local level. And you might say, what comes out of it? What comes out of it is that I get a phone call to go to the Rainbow Cafe when there's bombing in the Gaza and one of my Islamic friends is feeling extremely hurt that the Jewish community here is not responding. And there's a private, very secret, but real meeting in which communities who have got to know each other and trust each other through a local action can then come and talk about what they're feeling in terms of their spiritual, political, and peace situation. So that's local. Out of that, you get something like the Elijah Interfaith Institute, based in Jerusalem, which is doing similar things of linking into people like us at Oxford, but also bringing in academics. They just had a conference here at the Global Retreat Center where they brought together world leaders, but also met with local people and students and academics to look at the issue of friendship, friendship and religion. But with deep academic study going on behind the conference before people came. And you might say, why is bring, what, what's the purpose of bringing people together? Where is the value in that? Well, let me just share with you one of the things that came out of it for um, the Dean of Salisbury Cathedral, the Reverend June Osborne. And she wrote in her feedback form, the development of interreligious friendship across the Muslim-Christian divide in Sudan and southern Sudan was really important. Her diocese is linked with the diocese of Sudan in the south. At that conference was Sheikh Nir, who himself is linked with southern Sudan. So they pledged together to develop friendship and peace to arrange a meeting of Christians and Muslims in September as a starting point for dialogue. And that came out of something which is happening in the world now and needs help on. And finally, I'm ending with the big picture, which is the Council of the Parliament of World Religions. It started in 1893 in Chicago and has actually ended up its last meeting. There's a wonderful picture of the Dalai Lama there speaking to 10,000 people, the biggest interfaith religious meeting in the world. And he and what his message was resounds with, as it were, the father of interfaith dialogue, someone called Hans Kung. And I'm going to end with a quote from him. There will be no peace amongst the nations without peace amongst religions. There will be no peace amongst religions without dialogue amongst religions. There will be no dialogue between religions without investigation of the foundations of the religions themselves. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>